it is our practice typically to work through entire um, books of the Bible. And so we are in uh, the Gospel of John. Our text this morning is verses 16 through 21. Please hear the Word of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we have read this passage of Scripture, so I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts in order that we might see and believe uh, what you um, have uh, have said uh, to us, that we might trust wholly and completely in Jesus Christ, that we might come into the light so that it might be evident to everyone that uh, what has been done in us has been done by God. We ask in His name. Amen. This, um, this week as I was preparing the sermon, uh, we've been here in the Gospel of John for a few weeks, and we have really been considering the very basics of the Christian life. And again this week, we're considering uh, the very basics of the Christian life. And I was beginning to wonder to, uh, to myself, maybe I should uh, look at this passage in a little different way. Maybe we need to make sure that we are moving on beyond the basics. Uh, in fact, Hebrews 6 says that, that uh, it's not good to always be in the basics, uh, but to move on to... Um, to other things, but this passage, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit put this passage in here to teach us the basics about what it means to have faith in Jesus. So I was wrestling with this a little bit. Do I move on or do I stick with what I think God wants us to see in this passage? Well, of course, the safest thing, the better practice, is always to stick with what God wants us to see in the passage. But something happened this week that confirmed uh, my decision. Uh, you know my wife um, works in Plant City at Lincoln Elementary. She's been going to work there for, for several years. And uh, she goes down State Road 60 in the morning, and the light is the, the sun is shining right in her eyes the entire way down State Road 60, and so the light hit her eyes, and she kind of lost track of where she was, and she turned on the wrong road, 
and became lost going to to the school that she's gone to for so for so long and was late for work. And I thought, if she can get lost um, after traveling that same path so many times, then yeah, we need to really stick with the basics. It's good to to remind ourselves uh, of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Now, having told that story, uh, if anyone has an extra bed <laughs> for me to use this evening, I may be locked out of the house. Last week, we looked at um, at John 3.16, that great text of Scripture, uh, in detail. And we saw last week that God so loved them that hate Him that He gave His only begotten Son, His one and only Son, to suffer and die for them. God so loved sinners that He gave His only Son. The question for us, the first question for us this morning is, how does mankind repay this kind of love? This love that is greater than has ever been shown to anyone. This love that God shows to sinners by giving His only Son. Or as I said last week in quoting Charles Spurgeon, it almost seems as if God loves us more than His Son because He did not spare His own Son so that He could spare us. How do we repay that love? Well, look at verses 19 and 20 and I'll tell you. Or the Bible will tell, tell us um, how we repay that love, unfortunately. Verses 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Well, what's the light? Well, this is Jesus. Jesus came into the world because God the Father sent Him. And so, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. How do we typically repay God for His great love? We reject Him. That's what the Bible says. And we love the darkness rather than the light who is otherwise known as Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. Don't miss it. God so loved people who hated Him that He gave His only Son as a sacrifice for sinners. But they, or we, rejected the Son because we preferred our darkness instead. We've already seen this theme in John 1, verses 9-11. through 11. And so in John 1, uh, the Apostle John writes, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. 
in our day of mass media and also um, camera phones in every hand, we get to experience all the world's tragedies uh, from tsunamis and earthquakes to acts of terror that are so savage that we, we simply cannot wrap our, our minds around what we have witnessed. Um, but there is no greater tragedy, none at all, that has happened. And it happens every day all around us. This tragedy of people rejecting a God who is so loving that He gave His own Son for sinners. People reject God and refuse to come to Him that they might have life simply because they prefer darkness more. I've pleaded with many people, and I'm sure you have as well. I've pleaded with many people who believe the Bible, who believe that God gave Jesus to save sinners, but they still won't come to God because they love the darkness more. That is the tragedy of all tragedies. What does it mean when we say that people love the darkness? Well, the darkness implies blindness. Uh, This is what Jesus meant when He told Nicodemus in John 3, verse 3. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. uh, When Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, he's blind. He's in darkness. Without Christ, man is spiritually blind to the things of God. And this blindness is not caused by ignorance. Non-Christians are not people searching for God, but just looking in the wrong places. There's this idea that's out there, and it's very common and widespread, unfortunately, that people just, they're just lacking knowledge of the true God, and they just need a nudge in the right direction. Consequently, most gospel presentations appeal to the mind or to people's emotions to give people that nudge. There's the salesman's approach to presenting the gospel. It goes like this. Do you want eternal life? God can give you the free gift of eternal life. He purchased eternal life through the gift of His Son. So all you have to do is accept Jesus. And you can get this free gift of eternal life. Who doesn't want eternal life? And so that's how the gospel is presented. There's also this need-centered approach to presenting the gospel. It goes like this. Are you missing something in your life? Do you have a void uh, in your life? Well, Jesus created you. And so He can fill that void. He can meet your need. Just accept Jesus and you can be fulfilled. Here's the problem with these approaches. The will is never addressed. The heart of the problem is not ignorance or unfulfilled needs. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The human heart is opposed to God. The salesman's approach and the need-centered 
uh, approach to presenting the gospel are man-centered versions of the gospel. They are cheap imitations of the gospel. These man-centered versions of the gospel, um, or in these man-centered versions of the gospel, the will, the rebellious will, is not addressed. No repentance is required. No sin needs to be dropped. There are no calls for people to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. These man-centered approaches to presenting the gospel simply pile Jesus on top of one's cruddy life as a comprehensive fire insurance policy. And there's no real change in that person's life that is required according to these um, man-centered approaches to presenting the gospel. And the popularity of these man-centered approaches to presenting the gospel explains why so many Christians live like the world and don't feel that any change on their part is necessary. These approaches to presenting the gospel are not the real gospel. Uh, these approaches only present part of the gospel. And the real, the real evil here is it's presented as if this is the whole gospel. J.R. Packer has famously said that a half-truth masquerading as the whole truth becomes a complete untruth. Packer goes on to say, he says, these new ways of presenting the gospel are just a set of twisted half-truths that is something other than the biblical gospel. Further, he says, the Bible is against us when we preach that way. Man's blindness, in other words, is far from simple ignorance. Rather, it is a willful rebellion against the light of God's own Son. Listen to how the Scripture defines man's blindness. Notice that it is an active love of darkness. That it is a willful blindness. Ephesians 4, 17-19, the Apostle Paul says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And so he's saying they are ignorant. They are blind. But it is because they are continually giving themselves over to sensuality, in order to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Second Thessalonians uh, chapter two verses ten through twelve says that they they uh, in the context is unbelievers they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but who have delighted, and we could add in the word, actively delighted in wickedness. In other words, there's no passivity here. 
They so actively love wickedness that they are blind. That they refuse to see the light of Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, verses 9-11 through Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And so he's saying, look, their darkness, in other words, their hatred for their brother and sister um, has blinded them. It's not that they are dark in darkness because they're blind, but rather that the evil inside them has caused them to be blind. The Bible makes it clear that mankind's problem is not intellectual, but moral. A.W. Tozer says, When we fall in love with our sin, we can imagine and manufacture 10,000 syllogisms to keep us away from the cross. John MacArthur said the univocal uh, testimony of Scripture is that the root cause of sin is not in confusion, but rebellion. That people obey wicked impulses, not because these desires seem morally noble or spiritually credible, but because their hearts long to do evil. This is exactly what Jesus is telling Nicodemus in verses 19 through 20. So let's look at it, uh, these two verses again. And this is the judgment. The light is coming to the world. In fact, the light is standing right there in front of Nicodemus. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Well, Nicodemus came to Jesus. But notice he came at night. Um, and, uh, and Jesus is preaching to them. Preaching to him. And trying to, as I've said the last couple of weeks, trying to take away all of his self-confidence, all of his self-righteousness, so that Nicodemus is left only with the option of trusting in Jesus Christ alone if he is going to be saved. Nicodemus was not in darkness because he was blind. Rather, he was blind because he was living a morally dark life even as a Pharisee, even as a religious leader in Israel. Nicodemus, and not only Nicodemus, but all people outside Jesus Christ are in a tragic condition. They live in darkness. Are any of you living in darkness? Are any of you Choosing your sin rather than Jesus Christ. This condition gets worse. Look at verse 18. It says, the scripture says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. People who are outside of Jesus Christ 
are not living a life that is simply in danger of being condemned to God's judgment. The Scripture says they are condemned already. If you do not belong to Jesus Christ, you are living a condemned life. Your condemnation is a present fact unless you flee to Jesus Christ for refuge. See, fallen man is not on trial. Fallen man is a criminal already and already under sentence. Unbelievers have already stood before the the bar of God's justice and they have been found guilty. The sentence has been pronounced. They are condemned already. That's what the Scripture says, verse 18. If you are outside Jesus Christ but are not in hell at this moment, it is only because of the sovereign mercy of God. Psalm 73 paints God as an eternally just God who is holding the wicked over a pit of hell with His fingers greased with, by His justice. Listen to Psalm 73. It says, Surely you place them on slippery ground. So the, the picture here is they're on a slope and God has greased the surface. You place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're, they are like a dream when one awakens. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. And it will be an unbearable sentence that they, or if you are outside of Jesus Christ, will have to bear. And it will be a sentence that you will have to bear for all eternity. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6-10 through 10 describes the punishment of the wicked. It says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with an everlast- or with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might on the day that He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Can you see why I said that this was the most tragic of all tragedies? To reject a God who so loves sinners? Take another look at verse 18. Because verse 18 doesn't simply talk about condemnation. In fact, it talks about its opposite. The first phrase here in verse 18, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. What a joyful phrase. Turn this sweet truth over and over in your souls. If you are in Jesus Christ, you along with the rest of humanity have indeed stood before the bar of God's justice and you were found guilty. God had pronounced His sentence and the sentence was eternal 
condemnation and unmitigated wrath. But as you bowed your head in humility and cried out for mercy, and you looked up through your tears, you saw that the judge had taken off his robe, had left the bench, and uh, had come to take your place and thereby take your condemnation and your punishment. And the judge says, Believe on me and you will not be condemned. This is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for sinners so that sinners might become the righteousness of God. This is the good news of the Gospel. But this is not all the good news. The rest of the good news continues on. Look at verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, Jesus Christ doesn't simply say, believe in Me and I'm going to leave you in your darkness, but I'm going to give you forgiveness of sins. He doesn't stop there. He does something for us. Justification. He forgives us for our sins because of His death and our place on the cross. But He also does something in us. Sanctification. He changes us. He makes us into new creatures so that we now rejoice in the light. We rejoice to come into the light. We cry out with the psalmist in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love Thy law! Oh, how I love to obey Your law! Oh, how I love to honor and glorify You! And so He does something in us. He changes us. Here's the Gospel picture. Jesus, not only took away our sins so that we have a zero in our bank account of sins or a perfectly spotless record. He didn't simply do that, but He gave us His record of righteousness so that it's not only spotless, but it is filled with His righteousness. This is what He has done for us. This is why He went to the cross as I was uh uh, talking to the, the, the young children earlier. This is why He went to the cross. He did this for us. And then, He rose from the dead in our behalf. And we now have... He purchased for us resurrected lives so that we now have live new lives in Him. He, he changes us. He makes us new. This is what He does for us. So the question... It's not simply, have you believed in Jesus Christ? The question is, verse 21, have you come into His light so that your life is exposed before Him so that He can then change it and make you a new creature? So then, your life is not only righteous in Christ, but is becoming more righteous because He is at work in you.
This is Jesus' message to Nicodemus. We're going to look at these next um, in verses 16 through 21 uh, one more week as well. But I want you to be under no mistaken notions about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And I implore you, don't love your sin more than Jesus. We're going to come before the Lord's table in a few moments. And the Scripture says, in order to be a worthy partaker of the Lord's Supper, it's nothing in and of yourselves. It's Jesus' work in you. And so the question I want you to ask as we are before the Lord's table is, do I love my darkness or do I love the Lord Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, this chapter in the Bible, this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus is intended to expose us, to bring us into the light of Christ's righteousness. And in so doing, also expose our unrighteousness and our need of Him. And God, it is my single prayer this morning that You help everyone who is here this morning from the youngest to the oldest to examine their their life, to examine their heart, to examine their desires and see whether they be in Jesus Christ. And I pray that You would draw them sweetly and powerfully to Him who so loved them that He gave His only Son to be their Savior. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.